0: This message is brought to you by 12 Stone Church. Pastor Kevin Myers delivers the teaching entitled, Self-Correct. This is the third message in the series, Fight Night. We hope this serves you well. Please enjoy. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Conflict. We've been talking about it the last couple of weeks and admitting that it's everywhere in our lives. It's in our nation. It's all over our politics. It's, it's in our communities and it's in our work. It's among our friendships. It's in our families. It's in our schools. Hey, it's in our marriages. Marcia and I have not been shy, confessing over the last couple of weeks that uh, conflict so dominated our marriage, particularly the first five years, really the first decade, And the breakthrough was was breaking the code on conflict resolution. So we wrote Fair Fight Rules and followed them with military kind of discipline. And discovered in that there are three habits of healthy relationships. They're in your teaching notes. Let's follow along. Fill in the blank. Here we go. Let's get right back to it. And and put on the screen close enough to listen. You remember that from week one. If you missed it, go back online. Get that teaching. You need all three then, clear enough to compromise It's where we left off last week. And you'll need that teaching as well. You can jot it down in your notes. And then three, where we're going today, is committed enough to self-correct. Everybody here, say it with me. Committed enough to what? Self-correct. See, if you can just do one of those or two of those, it's, it's not going to help you cut through conflict. It'll cut through your relationship. you got to be able to do all three, and that's why today is critical to this whole thing of winning over and through conflict, and self-correct is often the missing link. See, we left off last week talking about compromise. But, if, but when compromise doesn't work, when compromise means you get your solution, but your solution doesn't work, you're worse off than before you even had one. Because you start off and you got a conflict, so your conflict is your problem. And then you go through, listen, and then you get a compromise, a solution. But if that compromise for a solution doesn't work, now you got double the trouble. You still have the original conflict that's one unresolved because nothing helped. But then in addition to that, you have the failure of a compromise. You're in worse off than you were before. So why doesn't compromise work? I mean, when, when it fails, why does it fail? I'm glad you've asked. So I got a couple a couple of thoughts for you, and I want to make sure you, you you understand it because it's it's what we've talked about. When you come to a compromise, a real solution, why does it tend to break down? Well, it goes to where we started the series, and it's either because you failed to listen. You failed to what? Listen. Meaning you didn't do a good job. You just kind of skipped over. And you came up with a compromise that didn't really attend to the interest and the needs of both. And and when there are poor solutions, poor compromise because you kind of just cheated and got to it, they tend to break down. On the other hand, there's another reason, it's where we're going today. It's because you fail to, you guessed it, self-correct. Say it with me, you fail to what? Self-correct. And so here's what you need to know. It's right in your notes, I'll put it on the screen. Look at it with me. Trust is the foundation of relationships. You really want to go win in relationships, you need to know that trust is the foundation of relationships. But hang on, I already get it. I know that many of you are thinking, "Uh, tell me something new. (laughs) I know that. And I think most of us know that first sentence. I don't think most of us know the second sentence. Self-correct is the foundation of trust. Ooh. Hang on. Oh, yeah, we all know trust is the foundation of relationships. Oh, yeah, you got trust, 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 Yeah, but, but what's the foundation of building trust? Self-correct. Oh, it's, it's so easy when you fall in love. I mean, we're going to talk, we'll use marriage as a primary analogy, but, but it, it's true in all relationships. All relationships have the honeymoon phase. So it's a beautiful thing when you fall in love. It's just, oh, it's so sweet. I will love you forever. And I will always forgive you. You will be special for me. And everybody loves the honeymoon stage. Why do you call it the honeymoon? I mean, by the way, that, that, that's true. That's true in, in, in work. I mean, you go to a job and it's like, oh, man, the last company. Oh. But, man, this place is awesome. Give it time. <laughs> that's true in your small group. Man, everybody's awesome. Give it time. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's nothing wrong with that. It's true in every relationship. It's true when you come to church, honeymoon phase. It's true when you're starting a new school, honeymoon phase. It's true in marriage, honeymoon. But how do those early conversations of I'll love you always and forever actually play out in the long run? See, we asked our film crew to take a pretty courageous, honest look at how those ideals early on actually play out in the long run, it's complicated. So this is worth the four minutes of just an honest reflection on the journey. Watch. I remember the first time we met. At Noah's party? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. My very first thought was, there is no way that this girl is single. There's just no way. Well, you were wrong. Well, not for very long, I wasn't. All right, all right, it's lit. <laughs> all it. go. think about getting married. To who? (laughs) Shut up, you (laughs) (laughs) to me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I'm not supporting you. If there's a better way we can do this, that's all. And I think I've said this over and over again. I feel strongly <laughs> about this, and I have to do it this way. How do you feel. You know, no matter how you feel, there is I know reality. you don't understand that I that's why it's so frustrating because you're okay. not listening I'm to me. I'm not. Listening. Well, so if you could let me actually speak and get my words out, maybe oh, you know solid, what I'm talking about. I know about. exactly what you're gonna say. You, you know what I'm gonna say? One well, Why? Don't me? you want this for me? Oh my why? gosh! This is, this is so what fun. you do. I don't... Do you think there's anything that's unforgivable like in a relationship, like the one thing you couldn't recover from? I'm not gonna keep doing this. I'm not. I mean, maybe if the person never stops doing the thing that hurts the other person. Mm, okay. I don't know how many chances do they get. Please forgive you. Always, always. I love you. So it asks a courageous question. Now, is there anything that's unforgivable? Well, maybe, if you were listening, did you get it? Well, well, maybe if, if somebody keeps doing the thing that hurts the other person, meaning maybe if you don't self-correct, maybe if nobody grows up, maybe if nobody really changes. Maybe if you just get stuck in disillusionment. In the nineteen eighties, a Mennonite pastor named David Osberger wrote a book called Sustaining Love. And in it, he walked through the stages of, of kind of a marriage relationship. And, and and this is really kind of a rough picture. But he said, it all starts out with the, the dream, meaning this is where everything is awesome. That, that's the, that, that, that of course, is the, the honeymoon. And then you hit disillusionment, and everybody knows what that experience is in multiple relationships, but particularly applied uh, to marriage. And, and, and then he says you have to get to the new dream. There has to be something that you break through from disillusionment to the new dream. And, and when you do, it's a powerful thing, and then you, you can get to new depth. And, and I'm, again, I'm just doing kind of a scratch the surface. But what's insightful about it that I want you to understand is he talks about how each phase navigates differences. So in other words, in the dream phase, the, 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 what's going on is that in the dream phase, You don't see one another's differences. That's part of what makes everything awesome. Don't you love it when you see a couple, they're early dating and then they get engaged and you're watching and you're like, how is that ever gonna work? Because you see that, but they're like, there's no differences, we're identical. Well, y'all just have fun. (laughs) Because we know what's coming. It, it's it's the next phase. It's the disillusionment phase. You see, if in the dream phase you can't see each other's differences, guess what? All you can see in the disillusionment phase, the differences. I mean, that, that's all. You get stuck in the difference. This is all you can see. I mean, we're not even close. We're not even alive. We're as far apart as we possibly can. This is where a lot of relationships get stuck. Now let me just go on for a moment. I'll come back. Now the, the goal is to get through the disillusionment to the new dream. And that's where you can appreciate one another's differences. And that's huge, the kind of stuff we're talking through in this Fight Night series. But really there's a, even a maturing beyond that. And that is when you get to a new death. And you do more than appreciate. You celebrate one another's differences. And, and, and while that's the ideal, the truth of the matter is a lot of marriage relationships get stuck right here in the disillusionment. And that can happen as soon as you get married. I mean some, you get married in the first few months. You've heard of relationships that divorce in the first year or two. Why? Because they leap into the disillusionment and all they can see is differences. We sometimes call it the seven year itch, why? Because you get stuck in disillusionment and you're seven years in, you're like, how could some of you be married seven years, eight years, 10 years in divorce? Because they never broke to the new dream and appreciated differences. One, one of the groups that is highly susceptible to divorce is empty nester. Because you find say, you know what? We've been living in disillusionment for so long we never did get to a new dream, a new depth. We just stayed together for the kids, and now that they're gone, I'm gone. Oh, these principles apply everywhere. They're challenging. And so let me just say, if you won't build trust and self-correct, if you won't build trust and self-correct, then you will erode trust and self-destruct. That's it. If you won't build trust and self-correct, you will erode trust and self-destruct. Trust is the foundation of relationships. Self-correct is the foundation of building trust. Now that may not be clear yet as what I mean by self-correct. So I'm going to get really practical because this first is a theological issue. It is one of the deep teachings of Christ, and it's often overlooked, so we're gonna unpack it. Furthermore, you're not gonna hear Marsha today read things from our fight night of of fair fight rules, and the reason being is because we didn't write this in. We didn't know to write this in. It was only after a year or two or three that we realized that this third piece is critical, and we had to write it into our relationship. So I wanna get as practical as we can, so let's go do this so you know what to do with it. What do I need to do? Here you go. Number one, keep my word. Keep my word. Everybody, say that with me. Do what? Keep my word. In fact, I got pretty detailed in these notes because I want you to make sure you understand it. So I want you to process it with me and don't 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 bail out on me. Because if you really want the benefit that goes with this, you're gonna have to walk through all the way to the end of the teaching because it layers, 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 layers. So I, I really detailed thought and, and God, make sure you get it. It's right there in your notes. In fact, we'll put it on the screen. Here we go. When I mess up. In other words, when I mess up in a relationship, it applies to all relationships, for example, with Marcia and I in our marriage. When I mess up, when I do the wrong thing, when I mess up, the evidence, watch this, the evidence of the other person's love might be forgiveness, but the evidence of my love is self-correct to keep my word. Write it down. Think about it, I wanna affect the way you think here. This is so large, this is so revolutionary to relationships. When I mess up, when I mess up in my marriage relationship, applies to all relationships, but I apply it to marriage, the evidence of the other person's love might be forgiveness. In other words, the evidence that Marsha loves me is that when I mess up, I'm like, oh man, I messed up, I, 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 you know, I know better than this in our relationship, I, I offended you or I hurt you or I said the wrong thing. The evidence of her love is she forgives me. What is the evidence of my love? Self-correct. keep my word. I wrote it this way in your notes. Look at it. Striving to require less and less forgiving for the same thing. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Striving to be less and less forgiving. Requiring less and less forgiving rather. In other words, when I say I'm sorry, it means sorry, sorry enough to quit. If I'm going to build trust, it isn't I do it again 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 oh forgive me 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 that erodes trust let's keep going aren't you glad you came no you're not you're already i'm sorry i showed up today Here we go, let's get theological, grab your Bibles underneath your chair, everybody reach underneath your chair this, this is one of the days where you've got to go with me you've got to get in scripture right here e- either get online, mobile device and get in the Bible or reach down right now pull the Bible out from under, if you've got your own Bible, pull it out, but you've got to go with me on this because this is not going to make sense, I want you to see what Jesus was teaching, it's very insightful and it's critical theological truth over in 1 John chapter 1, page 1228 page 1228 turn over to page 1228, New Testament 1 John chapter 1 Here in verse 9, Jesus is teaching us through the apostle uh, John and giving us insight into our lives. Chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he, God through Jesus, he is faithful and just to forgive. There it is. Will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So the love of God for us is that he will forgive us, right? Right. Chapter 2. My dear friends, I write this to you so that you will not sin. I want you to see this. So that you will not sin. So that you will what? Correct your behavior. So yes, you're forgiven, but now you go on to correct your behavior. I write this to you so that you will not sin but if anyone does sin we have an advocate with the father jesus christ the righteous one he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for our sins but also for the sins of the whole world so you get this whole faith thing theologically supernaturally here's what god's done we've messed up we've sinned god's love for us is evidence in that he forgives us how jesus died on the cross became the atoning sacrifice to pay our sin debt so that we can be restored back to god but when you're forgiven you know you now go on to what correct your behavior the goal is that you would not sin anymore go back to first peter go back a few pages back to, over to page twelve twenty. just back up a few pages first peter chapter one i want you to see it again this is all over scripture first peter chapter one verse three the apostle Peter is writing through the inspiration of the holy spirit and he writes praise be to god verse three praise be to god and father of our lord jesus christ in his great mercy he has given us new birth What is that? What do you mean, new birth? You are spiritually born again through forgiveness that Jesus makes possible. You are forgiven of your sin, made right. You are newly born. You're like a newborn babe. You're born in the family of God. You become a son, daughter of God. This is amazing. He has given us new birth into the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. That shows the supernatural power. Now the new life he has, he gives to us the hope of eternal life. Is that the end of it? No. Look at chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, which means what? In light of this, Because of everything that's now true about salvation and new birth, therefore, verse 14, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. You get it? Correct your behavior. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Verse 15, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Correct your behavior. Now you strive to be holy. This keeps building Because people say, well, walking with God is all about being forgiven. That's true. I mean, being a Christian is just being forgiven. That is entirely true. For God so loved the world, John 3, 16, he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him would not perish, would not have eternal separation from God, but would have eternal life. Is that the only teaching about love? Oh, no. Back up and go over to the book of John John chapter 14, Jesus is teaching about love. He's already taught about our, God's love for us and that he forgives us. But now on page 1081, page 1081, John chapter 14, 1081 if you're on a, in a worship center Bible, John chapter 14, verse 15. Yes, he's already talked about God's love for us. He forgives us, but look at our love for him. Verse 15, if you love me, ah, If you love me, your response back to God. If you love God, what do you do? Keep my commandments. What do you do? Keep my commandments. Look at verse 23. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. In other words, what do you do? You correct your behavior. Listen, you correct your will to align with the will of God. You keep your word. You say, God, I follow you. And then you actually follow. Are are you getting this? The evidence that God loves you is that he forgives you. The evidence that you love God is that you correct behavior and follow him. That is love. And when I figured out that your relationship with God is the model for all healthy relationships, I realized that that's what it means to win in marriage. It means... Once I agree to the right thing for us to do, I have to correct my behavior and build trust by keeping my word. I wrote it this way in my notes. My love for Marsha, ready? My love for Marsha, when we finally come to an agreement, when her and I finally come to a compromise like we talked last week, a real solution When I give my agreement, when I give my word, I must self-correct to keep my word and honor that solution, striving to require less and less forgiving for the same thing. And she has to commit to the same. In practice, listen, that is what builds trust, keeping your word. Although some of us right now are figuring out what's wrong. We're figuring out why our relationships aren't working. But let, me, let, let, me, let me just push the envelope here. Let me, go, let me state something in extremes and exaggeration right now in order to make a point. I'm going to exaggerate to make a point. Let's say the generation prior concluded that love is following the rules. That real love, particularly with God, is obeying God. And that's true. So say so with me. Let's say the prior generation concludes, no, love is obeying God. And let's say they lost focus on the truth of forgiveness so that love simply becomes a list of rules. And your whole relationship with God becomes the religion of rules. And it becomes cold and distant and distasteful and do's and don'ts, void of true love that includes forgiveness. And let's say a generation who grows up with that, gets sick and tired of that and realizes that's cold. That's not even a relationship. And let's say they overreact and they go to the other extreme. And now they say love is forgiveness. And that's their definition of love. And then they end up talking about love as if all love is, is forgiveness. And they lose sight that love is also self-correct. But they're all about love is forgiveness. And then what you end up hearing is that love is forgiving. That's how you, how do you love? You just forgive. You accept me the way I am. With all my weird oddities and all of my sin and I just keep sinning all. I just, I just live stupid, but you love me? So you just, you just keep forgiving because love is forgiveness, that's what it is. It has nothing to do with me growing up. Love is just forgiveness. And what if that generation loses the clarity That love is also self-correcting because that's what builds trust. And what if both generations are incapable of building trust because neither understand that love is both. That love is actually forgiveness and self-correcting and keeping your word. And until you get both, you're broke. So you get little films like the four-minute film we just watched where you say, "What what could possibly be unforgiving? Well, maybe if you keep doing the thing that hurts the other person. Because you just never grow up and self-correct. See, the truth is, love is more than just forgiveness. Trust needs to grow to self-correct and keep your word. Now, let me keep it practical. So let me go right into it. Let me, how do you put this stuff in practice? That means for Marsha and I, uh, Early on, when we got married and discovered, well, we already knew that we were kind of opposites. I'm more extrovert, people-oriented. She's more introvert. Uh, she prefers, you know, she kind of recovers in time alone. She can be with people. She's fine with people. And I can be alone, but, but we're kind of opposites. You get that, right? So, so I, being an extrovert, uh, I just, I, I meet people and I say, why don't you come over to the house? I mean, I literally did this all the time. I mean, I'm an assistant pastor at a church, and we start talking with a couple. I'm like, I like you guys. Hey, why don't you come over to our house? What are you doing right now? Well, nothing. Eh, come on over. Then we get in the car. They're behind us. We're in the car. Marsh is like, What is wrong with you? I'm like, Obviously, nothing. They like me. <laughs> The house isn't ready. I'm not ready. The food isn't ready. I'm just, what is wrong with you? Kill, you don't just invite people. I said, yes, you do. The Bible says if you're not hospitable, you're not godly. What's wrong with you? You married a pastor. What were you thinking? <laughs> now we're like, then we get to the house and the people walk in and the atmosphere is cold. Because kind of like maybe you should be getting along when you invite people over. But by the time they get there, we're not getting along. They have a bad experience. I know it's all Marsha. Marsha knows it's all me. We're like, Nye-nye-nye. Until finally we have to have real listening, maturity, grow up, and finally come to a reasonable compromise, and the solution is this. She's like, I I love having people over, but we need preparation time. How about set a date? How about set a time? How about have the house ready, food ready, everything ready, and we'll do a better job? And I finally had to agree with her, okay, that's smart. It's a better experience for them. So from now on, I don't invite people on the fly. Spur the moment. Well, the Holy Spirit told me to invite him. No, that doesn't. That's not how the Holy Spirit works, son. (laughs) Okay, you ready? I had to self-correct. See, trust erodes when I don't self-correct. So I quit inviting people on the spur of the moment. That was over. Do you see that? Only when I correct my behavior to our agreed compromise solution does any trust actually build between us. I have to change. Now, by the way. I don't have to correct to her wish list. I'm not accountable to Marcia's wish list. I'm accountable to my word. Don't walk out of here and say, well, you never changed. Did you just listen? Because you never changed. You don't become the, no, no, no. It's not your wish list. It's not Marcia saying, well, you just need to quit being gregarious. Okay, because I was a bit more gregarious when I was young. I've matured a little bit. But, you know, she can't come and say, you just got my wish list for you. Said, you just quit being gregarious. Like one of the things that happened we were assistant pastor of this church in Michigan in 1985-ish or so around that Valentine's. We had an all-church Valentine's party, but, you know, couples all gathered together around tables. This really happened. And one of the entertainments that, that, uh, that a couple people thought would be fun, so I joined, I'm like, yeah, let's do this, uh, was to have a Cupid show up. And so they needed one. I said, I'll do that. <laughs> I don't even understand myself to this day. So I put on a little thin rag diaper and came leaping out into the party as Cupid. And all I had on was a thin little diaper with a bow and arrow. I had an afro. I was an adorable Cupid. I had little wings taped to my back. And I'm leaping around. Cupid and I'm, I'm shooting people with love arrows and making them kiss. I don't know what I was thinking. I thank God that there were no iPhones. Can you imagine? I would be bankrupt buying off those pictures. Now, Marcia can't say, I married an idiot. Well, that's true. But she can't say, I married an idiot. My wish is that you would just be less gregarious and not so embarrassing. See, I've never agreed to that. So therefore, I'm not accountable to that. You're not accountable to their wish list. But you are accountable once you come to a real solution. Like, for example, we had to change fighting on the weekend. You're like, this never happened. Oh, it absolutely did. We discovered that our fights were all happening on Saturday. And we couldn't solve it. And so on Sunday, we were mad at each other. That's where the majority of our fights were happening. So you know what happened? I get up to preach on Sunday. And she's sitting right there. <laughs> I'm standing up here trying to preach. And I just wanted to say, and the Lord said to the wife, <laughs> Now we've got all this tension between us. I finally, I, we, I mean, we went through this, so finally we call Fairfield. I said, You know what? Satan's killing us. We can't fight on the weekends anymore, ever again. Now stop right now. You're thinking that, no, you can't, you can't decide when you fight. You absolutely can. Love covers a multitude of sins. And we concluded Satan is winning. And we exist in part to love people and be about them on the weekend and we are going to quit fighting. We will never again have a fight on Saturday or Sunday. And for over 20 years, we have never had a fight on Saturday or Sunday because we are about you. And we are here for you. You are the people that we love. And we don't fight on the weekends. Now, on Monday, well, there's no, <laughs> by, no holds bar, But you're like, oh, you can't do Yes, you can. Mature people who truly love each other can postpone it all and emotionally engage and value other people and be about somebody other than themselves. You can do this if... If you will self-correct. This is entirely possible. Now, when we would set budget, for example. Okay, we have to correct ourselves. We go through the budget. We're like, this is all we have. This is all we have to spend. I have mine. You have yours. We agree together. This is how we're. When she overspends, she doesn't come indignantly. Well, the reason I'm overspending is because you don't make enough money. No, no, stop, stop, stop. We agreed to a budget. So you have to apologize, and you have to self-correct. You're hurting us. Same thing for me. And we break the budget often, and we have to go back and fight and win. Our own self-correct. Listen, we had all kinds of issues. Oh, my goodness. Because we wanted more than we had. We wanted what? Don't you? How many people have ever, like, wished for more than what they have? Just hands up. In any way. Oh, good. And you know the conversation we're not having in the church? What do you do with envy? Because Mars and I are sitting in the church. There's all kinds of people who got more stuff than us. I don't think we're having an honest conversation, so next month we're going to have an honest conversation. Maybe one of the more raw and real dialogues about more. How do you chase more in life without ending up with less life? What really is more? We're going to tap into something I've wanted to do for years and I've never done it. We're going to tap into the 1700s. We're going to unpack discoveries that happened then that actually changed my life and the way Marsh and I navigate the chasing of more and what more really means to have more life. Tied into the scripture and the insights that, 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 that were revealed at that time and changed us. Maybe this might end up being what starts next week, the best conversation, might be more valuable to you than the one we've had the last three weeks. But, but we had to get on track and budget. By the way, we, we had to solve some things for dinner too, calendar, anybody have conflict over calendars? My goodness, I'm mean, like, she says, you gotta start being home at, a, at the time you agree to. And I said, I can't do that. I, have, I live in a real world. You know, I have a responsibility. People are calling. I'm the solo pastor. I mean, it's just, and she finally said, you know what, it doesn't work. And we, over a very long period of weeks to months, uh, maybe years, probably years, uh, I finally agreed I have to be home at 5.30, three to four days a week, non-negotiable. And you're thinking, why do you do that? It's like you always compromise and kowtow to Marsha. That's true, but I don't wanna talk about it. What I really wanna talk about... <laughs> What I really want to talk about is, is the insight that came out of it and, and why I agreed to it. And many people don't understand the difference, the difference between a date night and fight night. Here's what I mean. Every Thursday night for over 30 years, Marsha and I go together on a Thursday night. It's date night. 98% of the time, we have achieved this. No kids, just us. And the purpose of date night is fun… Write it down. Dreams and values. Do not destroy your date night by making it a fight night. Date night is for fun, dreams, and values. And that's what we talk about. What do we want in the future? What's the picture of our preferred future? What do we really value? We, get, we connect with each other. We talk about our life. And we have some fun. Now, fight night, that's about fighting. <laughs> that's about listen and compromise and self-correct. Watch this. The reason I agreed to 5.30 and be home and shut everything down, which was incredibly difficult for me, is not because I was compromising for her. It's really because I was compromising my present because I wanted to achieve a future dream. See, we decided we wanted a certain kind of dream family, and we wanted our family emotionally connected. And we lived in a world that says you can't do dinner anymore as family because you have too busy of a life. And we decided that's not true. We're not going to live that way. And so minimum of three nights a week at 530, everybody shows up at dinner, and we would have dinner together, no TV, no phones, no toys. We would emotionally connect, process life, hang together, and connect and bond, and we fought. it because we wanted a quality of life based on our values because we had a dream for a future and I compromised in the moment so I wouldn't compromise my dreams in the future. You see, that's what makes all the difference when you decide I'm gonna correct myself today because I have a dream for my future and many marriages break because you forgot what you're dreaming about, what you're chasing, what your values are and having fun together. Don't confuse date night and fight night. These are the kinds of things we chased and maybe what you're discovering right now is this you know what's broke you know you're having all kinds of conversations and nobody's correcting their behavior and keeping their word and you got to go rebuild trust maybe that's in a lot of your relationships you're responsible to keep your word now I'm gonna tell you this that's why I say you gotta stay with me the whole time the power for Marsh and I to keep our word was not just in us The second thing you got to do is keep God's Word. The second thing you got to do is keep God's Word. In Philippians chapter 2, where we have sat for this series, where we draw from what was on the screen at the end of the movie, and I've taught from multiple uh, uh, moments in this series, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Philippians 2, 3, and 4, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I have not given you the context for that verse. How do you pull that off? Here's what Paul is about to tell you. Resolving conflict with God has a direct impact on how you resolve conflict with others. You see, the verse that precedes verse 3 Says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, what does that mean? If you've had your conflict with God resolved through forgiveness, the resolution of that conflict with God now becomes the foundation of how you resolve conflict with everybody else. The evidence that you truly walk with God is demonstrated by the way you forgive others and correct your own behavior. Something supernatural happens when you resolve conflict with God by God's kindness to you. So if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, then make my joy complete being like-minded. In fact, he goes on in verse five to say, in your relationships, ah, in your relationships with one another, which means in your marriage, in your family, in your friendships, in the church, at work, in all your relationships, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. See, he's talking about your relationship with God is now restored. Now make sure that affects directly all your other relationships. You see, I've misspoke the whole time. I keep telling you the power of self-correct, but candidly, Marsha and I have never had the power to correct ourselves. I'm too selfish. <laughs> It's been the power of the Holy Spirit in me that makes it possible for me to correct myself. It's never really been the power of self-correct. It's been the power of the Holy Spirit to correct. Here's what he's saying. When you come in relationship with God through Jesus, the Holy Spirit fills you. And when the Holy Spirit fills you, the Holy Spirit will begin to correct things in your life. He will speak into your mind and make known when you're about to be selfish, when you're about to do the wrong thing, when you're about to descend in your attitude, when you're about to break your word and your promise. When you're making it all about, and when the Holy Spirit arrests your attention, you agree with Him. Ephesians four three, uh, uh, chapter four, verse thirty says, "Do not grieve the Holy Spirit," which means don't resist Him. It's actually the power of the Holy Spirit in you that awakens you. That's why I wrote in your notes. I'll put it on the screen, but it's right there in your notes. Walking with God, it's not just the moment of surrender and salvation. It's not just being spiritually born again. It's a commitment to surrender each moment selfishness and sin tempt- tempts. Do you see that? It's an ongoing commitment whereby the Holy Spirit is helping you navigate conflict in your relationships with others. And, and, and so each moment selfishness and sin tempts you, the Holy Spirit will arrest. And listen, listen, you know it. You know before the temptation, before you ignite in the conflict, before you delve into selfishness and give yourself permission to be an idiot. You know you're doing it. And the Holy Spirit says, Stop. So, you not only need your spiritual birthday where you're born again and forgiven of your sin and restored to God, but you need the power of the Holy Spirit in order to self correct. And the only way I know how to do that is if you practice keeping God's word. So, let me be blunt. I honestly don't know how to help people who don't have a relationship with God because it's the only power that's helped Marsha and I correct ourselves. We're just too selfish. I would be divorced if not for the kindness and the mercy of God, forgiving me, restoring me, and teaching me how to forgive somebody else and self-correct and His power to pull it off. I don't know how to help you unless you know Him. Doesn't mean... God can't, doesn't mean you can't have help and solution. What I'm saying is this, when we pray over you today, because I wanna pray over marriages, I wanna pray over, your, over key relationships in your life, but maybe today is the day you say to Jesus, you know what, it's time for me to, to quit fighting you God, and for me to have my spiritual birthday. Maybe that's what's in front of you today. Maybe you've been resisting God for a long time, and everybody else thinks you're right with him, but you know you're not, and you've never said yes to him. Maybe this is the moment, and then those three principles for healthy relationships make sense. See, how do you know you're progressing through conflict and growing? We know in our relationship because we have less conflict, the conflict we do have is new, and we can solve it faster and with less intensity. In other words, one at a time, we have less conflict. Here's why. Because the Holy Spirit speaks into us, and when the Holy Spirit speaks into us, we know immediately our selfishness. We have to adjust our attitude. Listen, the majority of conflict that would occur in our marriage is resolved before it ever breaks through because each one of us self-correct. We have a 95% conflict-free marriage. I would never believed it was possible. If you will just honor the Holy Spirit's prompts when He tells you, quit being stupid, <laughs> quit being immature. The conflict we do have is mostly new conflict, which means we're growing, we're getting older each stage of life. We have new agendas, new visions. Our kids are going through different seasons of life. We have new dreams in life. And so when you go into something new, it's normal to have conflict. By the way, if the conflict you have is the same conflict you had five years ago, 10 years ago, and 15 years ago, you're not growing. And then our conflict, we can get through it faster and with less intensity. Because love covers a multitude of sins. And so when it comes, we already know how to solve it. We got fair fight rules and sometimes we have to use them. Sometimes we just, you know what? We laugh because we're like, what are we conflict? This is dumb. Because we know what's important and what's not important. Let it go. And sometimes we just concede to the other person out of love. We just, you know what? I not only appreciate our differences, I celebrate them. It's transforming. Otherwise, we wouldn't have 35 years together this year and be best friends. God took a broken marriage and restored it in His kindness and mercy. He still does that. He still does that. And no matter how broken you think you are, He'll still do that for you, not only in your marriage, but key relationships. So there's two responses. I put them in your teaching notes, right right in your bulletin. Here they are. Is it time for you to finally surrender to God and walk with God? Is that the decision you need to make today? And will you make these three healthy habits the practice of your marriage? So as I turn the service over to the campus pastors, we're gonna take a moment for both. We're gonna take a moment for you if you've never said yes to God, for you to be restored to Him. And we're gonna take a moment to pray over marriages and key relationships. So let me do that. Right here in the room in the cafe theater, let me talk to you. If you want to know what does it look like to say yes to God, we're going to put a prayer on the screen and here's an example of a prayer. The power of this is that God made it possible. The the impact is that you would authentically offer this to him. Heavenly Father, I am grateful you love me. I'm grateful Jesus humbled himself on the cross to cover my sin debt. I ask you to forgive me, restore me to you through Jesus. Help me to understand your truth and obey you in all I do. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. And so I'm going to ask you to bow your heads here in the cafe theater. Would you, would you let this be a sacred moment, please? Would you just bow your heads? More than we know among us here in cafe theater, more than we know, have never said yes to Jesus. Oh, you, you, you might have been doing church for a while. But you're trying to get to God on your own effort. Oh, you might have moments where you think you need to be a better person, but that's not the same thing as surrender to God, being forgiven of sin, being born again, and now following Him as Lord of your life. That's the only way you get the gift of eternal life. That's the only way you become a son-daughter of the living God. And there's a certain pride in us that has to surrender. Now, I don't make this decision for you, but there's some men, some women, some students who never said yes to Jesus. And you can't make the decision for your spouse or anybody else. I can't make it for you. But if, that, if God has been drawing you, then I'm going to invite you to do something. We're going to pray the prayer in a moment. But before we pray the prayer, sometimes we do it big, public. We invite you up. But sometimes we have a quiet, sacred moment. And this is the quiet, sacred moment. I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand and look up at me. Just hold it for about ten seconds or so. I'll see you. That's all. This isn't for anybody else looking around. This is just your moment. So how about it right now? You say, you know what? I'm gonna offer that prayer. I'm gonna be restored to God. This is gonna be my day. So just lift up your hand. If you're in the cafe theater, you can do it as well. But right here in the room, you just lift up your hand and say, you know what, I got this is my day. Good for you. Good for you. Just keep going. Who else? Good for you. Good for you. Just look up at me when you do. Good for you. Good for you. Who else? Thank you. Good for you. Yep. How about it? Come on, this is it. Many people are settling it. Good for you, man. Good for you, buddy. How about it? Anyone else? Anyone? Good, 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 good. Hands down. Now everybody look up at the screen with me. For those of you who said, this is my moment, this is my day, you've raised your hand like I said, God, you know this got to be solved. We're all going to read this prayer aloud together, but for you, you who said, yes, this is my day. This is your prayer. But all of us as a family, we encourage each other. And so we're going to read the prayer together, but it is your prayer. Let's go read it together, everybody out loud. Heavenly Father, I am grateful you love me. I'm grateful Jesus humbled himself on the cross to cover my sin debt. I ask you to forgive me. Restore me to you through Jesus. Help me to understand your truth and obey you in all I do. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. And what does all of heaven do for everyone among us who just came into the kingdom? Woo! We celebrate you, man. Good for you guys. Good for you. In fact, all of you who said yes to Jesus, I want you to do something. This is really important. Don't skip this. You have a bulletin. And on it, left side back, it says contact card. I want you to separate that. In fact, really, I want everybody in the church right now just to separate the card, even though you're not going to use it because I don't want anybody to feel, uh, you know, kind of awkward. So just make the noise. Just tear it off. Everybody tear it off. If you don't have one and you said yes to Jesus just now, take it from your neighbor. Say, you don't need that. Give it to me. Get a pen sitting right underneath your chair. Just reach down and it's, it's tucked in there and one of the little sections right there. Get, grab a pen. And on the contact card side, it says, about one, two, three, four, five, checks down. My recent decision for Jesus. Then put your name, uh, email info. This is going to go, you're going to place it in the offering basket right now. It's going to let me know. You said yes to Jesus. Because this isn't private. It's personal, but it's not private. We're going to encourage you in your faith. You got spiritually born, man. All of heaven's celebrating. We're celebrating. We want to help you grow up in the faith. Because remember, we just said it. It isn't just the moment of new birth. It's growing up, and God helps you by the Holy Spirit. He's filled you, and he's going to help you grow up into the full life he has for you as you self-correct. Follow his word. Fulfill your own word. Keep your word. Now, with that, I want to do one more thing, and then then the offering will be received. I, I want to pray over relationships. So I'm going to invite you to stand. Maybe, listen, hang on before you do. If you're a couple and you would like God's blessing over your marriage to apply these three healthy habits of relationships, you can stand. I'm going to pray for you. Maybe your spouse isn't with you. Maybe your spouse doesn't want to stand, but you're saying, I I need to break through some things. God, would you help me break through? You you need to help me apply these, God, and you just want to stand for God's blessing over your marriage. Maybe you're standing because there's a work relationship or a family relationship or a key friendship, or maybe someone in the church family, you're like, I got to break through that relationship. I want whatever relationship you would ask for God's blessing over and maybe God's breakthrough Either one or all. That's fine. I want to pray over relationships. So if that is you, stand. Here, stand in the cafe theater. Just begin to stand. The person doesn't have to be here with you. They don't have to stand with you. It doesn't matter. You're just saying before the Lord, I want to receive the blessing of God over a key relationship in my world. Whatever that relationship may be. And Father, we're standing all over this place in the cafe theater because we've got a sacred moment with the living God. You said that if we would come seek you, your Holy Spirit would do things supernaturally in us and over us and through us that we cannot do for ourselves. And so I claim that by the authority of your word and the name of Jesus, I would ask for your blessing over our relationships. And right now, if you're standing, begin to breathe to God. Just begin to pray. Whisper under your breath the relationship you wish he would bless. Would you just begin to tell him? Right now, some are praying God over a work relationship, some over a family, some, some over a sibling, some with a, a parent some perhaps God with a, a a co-worker where it's broken down. Some inside the church. Some just friends. God, it's all over. And some perhaps many are saying, God, would you bless my marriage? In fact, some of us are saying, God, we need breakthroughs. We need you to do in our marriage where we're kind of stuck. We're stuck in disillusionment. We've kind of lost the new dream. We can't go to new depth. We don't appreciate our differences. We don't know how to keep our word. We haven't made good compromises. We're we're losing the best thing we had. We're getting so deep, God, in in, in distance with each other, we don't even know if we can believe this is recoverable. God, I would pray that you would grant healing over relationships, that you would restore what's been lost, that you would bring back you're the master of restoring relationships in the midst of conflict you did it for us god would you do it for our relationships with each other would you help us be men and women who keep your word and then keep our word many of us are going to have to go home and have conversations and say you know what that was for me Husband, wife, I messed up. you got to forgive me. i got to start keeping my word. We're, we're there. I pray, God, there would be a revolution in relationships. There would be, be stories down the road of marriages and families that are healed, business relationships that are healed, that there would be transformation across the community for every one of our relationships. And people begin to say, what happened to you guys? And it would be just because we took the truth of your word and we have these healthy habits that transform relationships. God, I pray for that kind of blessing for all who would receive it. Would you cover over our relationships? Would you cover uniquely over our marriages? And may there be miracles of restoration. May there be great new places you take us. And even for Marsha and I, God, I mean, we know you well. We walk with you well. We have a great relationship. I want to go to new places. Bless my marriage. Bless our marriage and all who would receive it. And all would say in the name of Jesus, amen.